Like many of you, I'm curious about several topics, and what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers that you're looking for? My name is Costa. Welcome to Founder Views. That's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm thinking about or working on at any given time. From economics, business, real estate investing, Bitcoin, lifestyle, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Since I really started uh, understanding the infinite banking concept, um, I've been trying to inform as many people as I know as possible because I just think it's so valuable to anyone, no matter what your financial situation or position is. So I want to try and just open up this discussion with you know practical, relatable scenarios about the concept. So to start, though, how did you stumble? I'm just curious. How did you stumble onto this infinite banking concept like was there a catalyst was it random like what's your story behind it uh it's a it's an odd uh situation and just an odd story probably a lot different than most people but it's actually the catalyst was my mom uh she found it um she did research about it and then so then she showed me and when i saw it and learned more about it and i got in contact with people about it, it just opened my eyes of what the, the impact it can do for um, people my age, then also like just throughout more research, uh, people that are professionals have their own profession, um, anything like that, and or just people that work nine to five, it can do many different uh, things. And so that kind of caught my eye of just how much it can help. Uh, people my age just because things are getting more expensive housing is getting more difficult to um, get a mortgage for um, and so being able to recapture uh, those payments by use like those expenses by using the policy uh, the first thing that kind of caught my like caught my mind of uh, an idea is people nowadays they're looking to get to they have to get two to two or three jobs to just uh, pay for their basic uh, expenses and also just have money for um, entertainment purposes, vacations and whatnot. Um, so my one thought from that was um, being able to recapture the money means more money is coming back to you, meaning you won't have to get that second or third job because the money that you're making is actually working for you and growing in value. And so you won't have to make or get multiple jobs to then um, suffice your, your needs yeah. and, and wants in life. Yeah. So, so I want to unpack a couple of things there. So you said uh, a couple of times, uh, like help people your age, like how, just for some context, like how, how old are you? I'm 25 now. I turned 26 at the end of March. Okay, cool. Um, I, I'm curious to, to hear your perspective. I find people that I met, um, like I, I, IBC practitioners, like people who like actually understand this concept, there there's a few common characteristics in these people who like truly see the value in it, and I think one of those is um, those who like really understand money and like banking and like the system and like the foundations that this system is based on. 
do you do you, would you agree with that do you find that's a common like characteristic of, of people who like are, really see the value in this concept yeah for sure i think when people do a deep dive on the banking system and how like the the deep roots of it uh they they see the flaws in it um i just one example of just even several years ago of the new rule the uh the bank balance um so basically what that is or so let's say back in 2008 when the banks collapsed uh the governments bailed them out um, some of those big banks out to help them survive um several years ago they came out uh, at least in canada came out with um, a rule called bank bail-ins and so what that means is if the banks collapse like they did in 2008 and the banks need money they can go into customers bank to bank accounts take their deposits to then help them survive and, and get out of the like just get out of the the, the problem there is and that's a massive issue um, yeah, just so, from, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So when did that come into like law? I don't know exactly. I told like 2018 comes into mind. I don't know exactly, um, what year it was. I know it was recent. Um, so not too far, too far ago. Um, yeah. but it's just, that's a massive thing, especially with the economy nowadays that it can very easily happen and not a lot of people know about it probably a lot of people don't don't want to know about it just because of how scary it can be um you know prices for things are like money's tight already now just heighten that with the bank just taking the money in your bank account and they can do that because you've then you've deposited money into the bank so the bank now controls that money um so that's a that's a big thing that was recent that, that's so concerning, like bail-ins, the, just the idea that, you know, you work like called decades, saving up money, depositing into your account. You just like assume that it's safe and there for you when you need it. Um, but the fact that, you know, no one thinks this will ever happen, but like, you know, all you got to do is like study history. Past it happened in 2008. That's what I mean. It's just it's, the difference was the government bailed out the banks. Now they came out the rule with oh yeah, just use the customer's deposits. Like you can wake up and banks can collapse in, in a second, they can just drop. And so you can wake up one, one morning and check your bank accounts and there's nothing there. And another thing with that is, uh, just the, the insurance deposit, CIDIC, I believe the, um, the amount of insurance that you're covered for in your bank, is like a hundred thousand. So if you have in most Canadian banks, I believe that's that's the the current figure, right? Is a hundred thousand that you're insured for. So if a bank goes under or whatever happens, like you have a few hundred thousand in your bank account. Um, just the thought that like only a hundred thousand is is safe is also a little concerning to say the least. I would say. Yeah, exactly. Like people have. Um, TFSAs uh, and then also savings accounts just like that so like it's just very risky um, hopefully it doesn't happen obviously but there is a strong possibility that it does happen like they put that rule in for a reason um, yeah. it protects the banks and it also protects the the government because they don't have to uh, bail out the banks uh, yeah. that way and look it's not even like a far-fetched like 
theory. I mean, just look what's happening right now, right? With inflation, just the level of debt that, you know, Canada's in, every province is in, um, you know, just the, all, all that compounded at, at the end of the day, the, the cards have to come, come tumbling down at some point. And it's, it's usually always the, the consumer or the, you know, you and I, who, who yeah, it's always us that has to, you know, face the effects of yeah. other people's decisions. Yeah. So w- one of the best definitions I've heard about uh, infinite banking is it's, it's the fountainhead from which all investments are derived. And like that resonates with me personally. That's like probably the biggest value I see in infinite banking is like, you know, not having to deal with red tape and oversight of banks and other loan providers and just having 100% complete control of your finances. Yeah. Um, how would you describe infinite banking? Like what's your like definition of it? If you're explaining it to someone new, uh, basically it's a safe storage to put your money, um, having it grow for the rest of your life, but also being protected for the rest of your life. Um, there's a lot of living benefits to infinite banking, but then also you can't ignore the, the death benefit component of that and having that increase every year to your needs and to, to match your needs. It is a big, um, aspect of that, but definitely the, the main thing is having your money grow compounding for the rest of your life that can be used for, um, various expenses or various investments that someone might want to uh, get into. So for yourself, obviously, um, be the fountainhead for various investments. And that's, that's correct because the policy continues to grow. You take the loan out, purchase or put the money towards an investment. And now you have, uh, that money is doing two things at once, um, for more just basic necessities, just having your money grow, like your money's got to go somewhere. Let's put it somewhere where it's going to grow. And then once you have more uh, wealth accrued throughout the policy, then we can start looking at uh, different investments to uh, grow the wealth even more. So it's just like whatever the person, like whatever the clients, uh, wherever they're at in their financial uh, journey, we kind of start there and then kind of move down down the line uh, that way. Yeah. So to, to play devil's advocate a bit, one thing you said, right, save storage for the rest of your life. Um, when, when, if someone hears that, it, it almost one of these things that sounds too good to be true. Like what place, what investment is like guaranteed, right? Like how how is is infinite banking so safe where you can you can make that statement with just so much high level of confidence? Um. We just had to look at back at that history. There's insurance companies that have paid out a dividend for the past 100 years straight. Um, and that's throughout all the the financial economic crises that we've had throughout the past over 100 years. And so and the insurance companies still continue to um, pay out a dividend. And so and also. The it insurance companies and the insurance products have been around longer than uh, many rules and regulations. And so uh, the insurance companies kind of get to, to bypass some of those just because they have been grandfathered in through uh, over a hundred years worth um, 
of just how they've been enforced and how they've been um, into the marketplace that way. And so just looking at um, history and how they're designed, that's a big thing as well. Um, and also just history of how the insurance companies perform. Yeah. It, it, in a worst case scenario, right? Like in what event, what has to occur for like deposits of an insurance company to no longer be safe? Like, is that, I don't know. What, what does that look like? Like default uh, of Canada, for example, or like, yeah, so I'm like they've been the, the insurance companies and investments that they've do. Um, they could buy things from a hundred years ago, and they're still earning you know, profits from that. So it gets it. It's kind of tough to think about of what would be the worst case scenario. Um, at the end of the day, the whatever the cash flows you have in your policies, it's vested. It can't just go down like um, your money in a, in a stock portfolio. It can't do that. Like it is vested in that account. Um, so I think the, I guess the worst case scenario would be they just don't pay out a dividend. But if that happens, then there's a lot bigger problems um, in the economy and, and in the world that we're facing at that yeah. time. And fundamentally, right, insurance companies, they, they're not, they don't operate on a fractional reserve system. So it's a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So another thing you mentioned, which I want to dive into and, you know, about recapturing the money, right? We're living in high inflation. Like you said, you know, there's people working two, three jobs just to pay rent and, and, you know, the basic thing. So how do you then, like, how, what does that mean then to recapture money, uh, you know, that's working for you, that's growing value where, you know, maybe you can use that instead of working that second or third job. Like, what are some practical ways? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So whilst your policy continues to grow and then you capitalize on um, just various expenses, um, let's say you buy a car, let's say for 40,000 um, and you want to pay that back um, after for five years over that five years, the policy has now that those cash values have grown even more. And so let's say the cash values are at uh, 60,000. So your policy is from purchasing that vehicle. It has now grown whilst uh, if you do it just with cash, normally you would pay the 40,000 and that 40,000 would be gone. So you would lose out on the opportunity cost of being able to make interest uh, on that money. And so that's how you uh, slowly recapture the payments because the policy continues to grow while rather than just paying cash for something and just never seeing a cent from that 40,000. Like, yes, you have the car, but the cash component, you don't receive anything back. So with the policy and it continues to grow, uh, you just slowly recapture some of those payments and over time you would recapture uh the full thing so it, it, to, to put another way then it, it's kind of like rethinking essentially at the core where that forty thousand is coming from it's either going to come from your own like savings account which if you if you 
you know, take it out, that 40,000 is gone forever. But if that 40,000 is instead sitting in a policy, you can take that 40,000 from there, but it's still growing at 40,000. You're just leveraging it and Correct. You know, using it, it doesn't, when you, when you use your policy, you don't interrupt the, the growth and the compound and growth of the policy. And so let's say you have uh, 80,000 of cash values in your policy and you take a loan out for 40,000 for the car, it still grows at that 80,000. Yeah. And so, and not the, the 40,000. So, and so that's different than just paying cash because if you have 80,000 in your bank account and you take out 40, it's not like you're just losing all that growth. And so the, the, yeah. the main thing is of how you can recapture is just because of the, uh, on un- un- uninterrupted compounding growth, uh, in that policy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, like another practical example, right? People go on vacations, right? You have a family of four. Let's say you spend like a vacation is like 10,000 call it. Most people will save up 10,000, uh, in their savings account and then like use that money for their vacation. Whereas if that money was instead sitting in your policy, uh, it's going to be uninterrupted forever. It's still going to be growing at its dividend rate, but you're just leveraging that 10,000 for your vacation and just like paying it back over time. So yeah, like you're, it's a win situation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's some important dates coming up for Canadians, right? As we approach tax season, uh, right around the corner, RSPs thing. So that's the first one actually RSPs. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I can see advantages of, of RSPs and like contributed deferring taxes for some people. Um, but I also feel it's one of these things that's kind of been embedded into our like society is like, you got to contribute to RSPs. Like, you know, most people don't know why or why it's advantageous or, you know, it, even to the point where if you like question that you're almost kind of like frowned upon by like the average person, like, you oh, know, why aren't you contributing to your RSP? But yeah. So w- what are your thoughts on RSPs first of all? And are there more advantageous options for Canadians? Yeah, for sure. Like my opinion on RSPs is that they're, they're not a good product or tool to have, uh, mainly because it's not like it's just tax deferred. And so you're going to pay that tax well in the future. And typically with how the economy is, especially now, now times we're going to be paying more taxes down the road. And so would you rather just pay less tax now or more tax in the future, especially during retirement time when you're not making an income. And so when that basically just means that when you're paying or if you do have RSPs and then you want to um, access those for retirement time, your retirement isn't as enjoyable because you're bringing in less income because of those higher taxes. And so to me, uh, having a policy is just more beneficial just because of you can access the, the policies, uh, tax free, uh, just with the loans, it's not considered income. Um, so we can, um, use the policies, uh, in a tax advantage way or a tax efficient way rather than RSPs and also in the policy, if we use the policies, uh, 
policy's cash values for retirement income, the policy still continues to grow while we're using the, the income or using those loans. And so it's just a lot better way because with RSPs, if when every year you take out an income, it's just lowering the amount of what's there. So just it can't grow. But with the policy, it still grows at that same amount and gets higher and higher and higher. And so over time, policy still continues to grow whilst you're enjoying your, your retirement out of just a more tax efficient way. Yeah. Yeah. I see like RSPs, you know, there's, it's pitched as the benefits are, you know, it's deferring your, your tax payable for the year you contribute, uh, you know, you're meant to, you know, use it when you retire quote unquote, but, um, I don't know about, and you know, another assumption is that when you retire, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. So, yeah. So I just want to speak on that. Like why, why do you want to be in a lower tax bracket? You want to enjoy your retirement. Like, so why someone's saying, oh yeah, you'll be in a lower tax bracket, but like, why you don't have to do that, that, that if you don't want yeah. to, <laughs> like, you want to enjoy your retirement. At. You want to go out and travel. Yeah. You want to do all these things that you couldn't do while you're working. So why be, why be restricted in a lower tax bracket? Yeah. That, that's what I was getting at too. That was my point. So, you know, that, that's how it's pitched, right? That's how it's yeah. framed, but it, it's, I look at it. It's like, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I probably, I'm, I plan to be in the highest tax bracket when I retire, like the same as now, like, you know, I plan to continue being an entrepreneur and ma- making yeah. money. And so like, I have no intention of being in a lower tax bracket, but exactly. so that's one thing. But, but another thing is th- that's also assuming that the tax rates are going to remain the same as they are now, which, exactly. you know, if you're assuming that like call it 30 years out when you quote unquote retire, yeah. that's putting a lot of faith and trust into uh, government, which we have seen um, is not the best at keeping promises. And you can look at historical like rates yeah. too on how taxes increase. So, and with, yeah. with, a lot of our taxes now just pay the interest for the debt that Canada has. And you see how much spending that we're doing now. So we're going to feel the effects of it in 10, 20, 30 years. So you're, it's a good assumption that taxes are going to be at a higher rate. So you might possibly not be at a lower tax bracket by it's just a lot of what ifs. And if you look at historicals, it doesn't seem logical of what they're saying. Yeah. So, so sticking on RSP then. So instead of, let's say, contributing to an RSP, again, just to play maybe the other side, you're losing that tax deferral that, or you're the tax, you essentially are paying a bit more taxes if you don't contribute to an RSP, doesn't have that deduction. So what would be the alternative? Put that money into a policy? and have it grow yeah and have it compound for the rest of your life and you're able to access that money way before retirement time as well like you own the the policy you you have control of those of those cash uh, values inside the policy so you can use the cash values that were meant to go into rsps you can use them at a, a much earlier year that can be used for investments for passive income. And then so you could use that for uh, to fund your retirement even at an earlier year. 
And so it's just a lot more flexibility in the policy because you you control the rules, you control the cash values, you have more control over the decisions that are made because it, you're making the decisions. You're not, like, with RSPs, a lot of the times there's someone else making the rules, uh, just making, it just constricts you of, of what you can do and just with the policy, since it is yours, you have more control and it's a lot more flexible. Yeah. So uh, another scenario, you know, sticking to tax season coming up. So um, as an entrepreneur, as business owners, very seldom you're going to have a tax refund. You usually have a tax liability uh, come this time of the year. So how how do you use a policy for your own taxes? Like paint the scenario with that. Yeah. So it's kind of what we talked about earlier, being able to recapture um, expenses with business owners self-employed individuals uh we're gonna have to pay our own taxes like we're gonna follow that and so every year we'll be able to be paying taxes so it's a big expense that we're gonna have to pay every year so while why don't we just put it somewhere where it's gonna grow and over time we recapture um those payments and those expenses for the taxes so you kind of you can roughly gauge how much uh, tax you're going to pay for that year and put that into a policy each year and then have that grow and then take the loan out for uh, the taxes and then slowly repay that throughout the year and a good thing about the repayments in the loans is that you control the, the debt of that loan and so every loan repayment that you do it just gives you more available cash to use because you own it rather than paying taxes. Uh, normally you pay them, never see that, that dollar amount again. Uh, so you're just able to recapture it because the policy continues to grow and then you're just leveraging the policy whilst it's continuing to grow for those, for those taxes. Cause you're, you're gonna have to pay them anyways. So yeah. might as well just make it bank more efficiently have that money grow for you and then use that. And then over time, you'll be just, it'll just be so nice to see, okay, in 20, 30 years, how many dollars of taxes would I have lost just by paying it with cash? And then you can kind of see of how much money that the, the policy has grown by. And you'll just be so thankful that you started it when you did. Yeah. So, you know, let's say hypothetically you have a tax bill come at, at this year at like $30,000. You, you have a cash value of 50. You're, you're taking, um, you're taking a loan out for, for that 20,000 that you own taxes out of your policy, but it's being uninterrupted. It's still growing at, at that 50. You're just paying off your taxes. And now at that point, um, you're, you're, you're controlling when you pay that back into your policy. Yeah. So talk about yeah. the control part. To me, that's, that's the, the biggest advantage, like just having complete 100% control on, on the payback schedule. So unlike a, a typical loan or like a line of credit, let's just say where you have to pay the interest like every month or you have your payment due at the end of the month or whatever the case is. Uh, this is a little different in that case where, you, you have full control. So can you talk about that a bit? And like, what does that mean control? Yeah, for sure. So 
typically how we pay loans or debt is that we there's a fixed schedule over however many years that we have to pay and if if not we have to give up that asset so let's let's say it's a car if you don't pay the car payment they can take the car with the policy since you control it you make the rules that's a big thing so with a car or for whatever they make the rules of the repayment schedule so just have the control aspect say you have a loan let's say the month one you don't have to pay it month two you don't have to pay it and so it just gives you the, the control and flexibility to manage your your assets the way you want to rather than someone else controlling them and so since you control the debt you're not there's no fixed repayment schedule it's very flexible to what your scenario is so let's say you're tight on cash for the first six months and then the other six months if we're talking about taxes typically you'd want to pay them in that year just so you have that cash available then for the taxes for the next year and so if finances are a little tight for the first six months perfect you don't have to pay them back uh and then in the next six months you can kind of uh do the repayments that way and it can just be chunks of um let's say if it's thirty thousand of your taxes if it's just chunks of say ten thousand for one month and then five thousand the next month or anything it's totally flexible to what you want to do and um it just gives you more control and just less stress of oh i need to pay this like the like the daunting uh loan repayment on the, in the back of your mind like oh i need to pay this rather than in a policy it's super stress-free and just because you have the control and you make the decisions of of when you want to pay them back and, yeah. and how much you want to pay back yeah like for me just having the control over the cash flow every month is is the biggest benefit by far um, but, but how is that possible? How, how do these insurance companies allow you to like take out a loan out of your policy and like pay it back whenever you want? You own the policy. It's as simple as that. You own the policy, you own the cash values. Um, they don't ask when you ask for, when you say I want a loan, like I want to take out money in my cash uh, values. They don't ask what it's for. They don't because it's, it's your money. Um, and if you want to bring that back to a typical bank, if you want to take out money, you have to do credit checks. They ask for what it's for, all these questions, all these applications. And it seems stupid because it's people think it's their money in the bank, but it's not. You've given up the power and control to the banks to just hold your money. Um, but in the policy, you're the policy owner. You control the policy. You own it. It's yours. And what if you don't pay it back? You just don't pay it back. <laughs> so whenever you do pass away, so how that would work, whenever you do pass away, the loans outstanding would just be subtracted out of the death benefit. Um, so no one's hunting you down for to repay the loans. Um, say you do pass away with loans outstanding, they just minus it out of the death benefit. Yeah. Yeah. You see, that that's the part where to a lot of people, it's like kind of... Uh perplexing in a way just the thought of having a loan that you can pay back whenever you want if you don't want to pay it back you don't have to uh, i think that's the part that for the average person is like what the hell are you talking it's, about it's so different than typical uh loans because 
all of our loans typically and traditionally we don't control we don't own the loans but when we do own the loans we have control and the flexibility of what we want to do with it and so just it's just a lot better way to bank a lot stress-free uh way to bank uh because money is a cause of a lot of stress in people's lives and so with the policies and have that grow um, it just kind of gives you a peace of mind and just the control aspect of loan repayments it's nice that way as well yeah why is this concept or the infinite banking concept uh more important now like during times of inflation like is it more beneficial now during these stressful times or does that not make any difference it definitely makes a, a difference just having that policy grow um, with inflation. So that's nice. Uh, just but like inflation has been around for forever, for as long as our lives and even even longer. So it's always been a thing. So even when the inflation was at 2%, you're still losing money, just keeping your money inside the bank because of that 2% inflation. But even especially now with how prominent it is in our economy and how like every news people like outlet has, has talked about the effects of inflation, having your money grow inside your bank is a very powerful thing because everything else around you is increasing. So all your expenses increasing. The thing that's not increasing is your income. Your income doesn't grow with inflation. And so, the money we have in our bank accounts, we need to have that growth with us and work for us in order to stay ahead financially uh, in life. Yeah. So I know a lot of people that work in the financial industry and insurance and pretty much none of them know about the infinite banking. Con- they, they, they might have heard of the concept, but like they don't really understand the details and like why it's so valuable and useful. So like, why isn't it just taught more in the finance world in insurance industry? It's very specific on how they're designed. And so advisors of the Nelson Nash Institute, who's the, the founder of infinite banking concept, we have years worth of education that we've done and a lot of advisors like oh yeah i know how to do this uh this concept but they really don't um and why they they don't do that like why they don't go into infinite banking it's just there they might not know not like they might not even know about it Um, and why they don't know about it it's just it's just not mainstream of of that like if you think if everyone had infinite banking policies in canada their, the government, the Bank of Canada would be, I, w- I don't want to say useless, but their use case would be a lot less because people don't have to rely on, on banks. And so what that means is banks can't make as much money as they did. And so I, th- I think that's why it's not as mainstream as uh, it once was. But in the, the mid 1900s, like 1900s, everyone had whole life uh, policies and participating whole life policies. A lot of, um, big corporations got started because of participating whole life policies. And it's just, that's kind of why the, the creation of IB Canada group, uh, the group I'm, I'm a part of, that's why the group was formed because 
we're all independent advisors, uh, but we do have the common goal of just educating all of Canada um, on the infinite banking concept, just because we do see the value in it. And we do see if even 10% of the country had policies, like how much of a healthier economy uh, we would have. So do you think then it's, it's by design that more like people in the business, like actual insurance brokers and agents who are actually selling whole life policies, but like don't know how to structure an IBC policy? Is that by design or is that just? Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it I'd say is by design. Um, Some other advisors might just work with, with one company, but there's a few companies that have very good uh, participating whole life policy products. Um, And so you're just, they're just limiting themselves of who they can go to for insurance companies. But I I do think it is by design. It is very uh, different structured. It's not just an easy kind of just put numbers together. Oh yeah, this is what uh, the policy is. It's very, um, it's kind of, in, a, in a way, it's like financial planning because we do need to have a grasp and a, and a information of the client's uh, financial scenario, what they want to do with the policy, what's kind of like their their thoughts and ideas and stuff. So it is more in depth than just a typical uh, insurance policy. So it yeah. is a lot design and just structure. Yeah. So, so like when I like went into this rabbit hole learned about infinite banking and just got deeper and deeper into it. One of the things like you learn about is like how very few people or insurance brokers and advisors actually know about this concept. And uh, I remember for myself, like I actually like tested that theory. Like I purposely reached out to several just like insurance brokers, people I knew referrals that were just like, you know, general people in the industry. And um, no one knew about the concept is, nearly as much as I did, which was like very shocking to me. Um, and, and there's, it seems to be a lot of like miss, you know, like misunderstanding or like misinformation about whole life policies. Like, you know, a lot of insurance brokers will tell you that, you know, you gotta you like earn a lot of money. You gotta, it's expensive, which is not true. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's all dependent on each person's financial scenario. Um, it's all, having your money grow compared to not having your money grow in your bank account. It's as simple as that. You might as well put, put your money somewhere where it's going to grow. And so majority of people have an income and they have the money inside the bank account, but the money inside the bank account doesn't grow. So a simple solution to that is put it somewhere uh, where it's going to grow. So even people that don't make crazy high high net worth, high income individuals, they can still uh, benefit from these policies just by allocating the money that's in their bank account into these policies. So uh, just, it doesn't have to be just a rich person uh, product. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, What's the current uh, dividend that um, a policy is making out? Depends on each company. Uh, So the, three I work with, um, the one is that starting in April, it's at 6.25. Um, then the other one was, uh, 
July or June of last year is at 6.1. And then the other company is at 6.05. So around 6% yeah. uh, as a rough of a. And is that, is that typically the average like throughout like a hundred plus years? It all depends on the, what's going on in the economy. So when say 15 or basic 10 years ago, like within the 10 years that we were in a low interest environment, uh, just with mortgages, car loans, all that stuff. And so the, the dividend in the insurance companies wasn't crazy high. I think it was like, oh, maybe like four or 5% from just like, just looking at just historical that. So it's kind of, um, equivalent to what's going on in the economy um however where they do put the money is in very safe uh low risk investments it's not tied to the stock market in in that sense yeah so so where where do they put their money so like if you're depositing this money with a insurance company um what type of assets are they then investing that money in uh it all depends on each company and kind of what they want to go down in um, so you could see, uh, a good amount is in bonds. So like 30 year bonds, so they have time to accrue in value. Also various real estate acquisitions. Like you see a lot of the buildings and a lot of plots of lands are actually owned by insurance companies. And so since they have been around for a hundred years, they have a hundred years worth of buying assets and just being able to receive dividends and receiving profits from those investments that have been uh, around over a hundred years. So various different things that varies on uh, each company and kind of what they want to diversify uh, themselves yeah. in. And, and what about the, the, uh, the loan aspect of it? So it, unlike a traditional loan that that's compounded, let's say monthly, uh, these loans that you take out of your policy, they're compounded annually, right? Yeah. So like it, well, it's simple interest. So, um, then that's a big difference of the, your, the policy is growing compounded interest, but then the loans are simple interest. So a lot of the times your policy is growing, um, each day more than what the loan balance is. Um, yeah. so that's, it is simple interest for your late, your rate is locked in for a full year. And then if you have another, if you have still that loan outstanding, it goes into the another year of what that current rate is. Uh, so it's simple interest, uh, for the loan. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's the rate right now? The loan rate again, depends on, uh, each company. Uh, right now it's between like seven, eight percent of simple interest, but I've done, uh, calculations of on an Excel spreadsheet of typically of like a, a typical loan repayment at that 8%, let's say, and just the growth of the policy at, let's say 6%. Um, and yeah. when I run the numbers, the policy grows by more than what the loan interest is. Right. Uh, so people might freak out like, oh, there's a 2% difference of the loan rate and that would be correct, but people have to be educated and understand the difference between compounding interest and, and simple interest. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a huge difference. Uh, so for for people who are listening to this and, you know, hopefully uh, piqued some interest, where's a good place to to kind of start and, you know, learn more? Yeah, so we have a the group that I mentioned uh, not too long ago. We have a website it's called ibcanadagroup.ca or .com. And there's videos about infinite banking of more information. Uh, there's also all of the advisors that are part of the group. So I'm only licensed in Ontario. So let's say there's people watching that are interested in, um, let's say Saskatchewan or, or Vancouver or British Columbia, there's advisors in those provinces that can help you out. Uh, so yeah, just uh, go in on ibcanadagroup.com uh, or .ca and then kind of go from there. Awesome, awesome. And, and and if someone wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you, we're... we're... Where are you hiding on the internet? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can uh, contact me there at just at Hayden Padlino. Uh, then also email me, uh, Hayden Padlino, IBC at gmail.com. Awesome. Uh, Hayden, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, I, I hope this conversation spurred more people's uh, curiosity, interest in this topic. It's something that I, I love, I, I, you know, I want to just, everyone I speak to, like, I, I literally, if we're talking about this subject, like I, I bring it up. Uh, so I'm just trying to spread awareness as much as I can. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you for having this platform and uh, being open to, to sharing it. It's, it's good that there's people out there that do want to share that's not, that aren't advisors. Uh, so I do appreciate uh, you and your podcast and also having um, other advisors like myself uh, on your platform. For sure. Uh, we should definitely do this again sometime. And uh, thanks again. We'll chat soon. Yeah, for sure.